At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Coming up on episode 298 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the all-new Ford Ranger, the Ford Bronco, the uh, new GMC Canyon, more on the Cadillac Lyric, a new sports car from Honda, and a very, very bad new EV from Vietnam. All that and more coming up next. This is episode 298 of Wheel Bearings. I am Sam Abuol Sandwich from Guidehouse Insights. And I am Nicole Wakeman from True Car. And Robbie is uh, not with us this morning because he had a little family emergency he had to deal with. So uh, best of uh, best wishes to Robbie. Hope everything's okay there. Um, and um, let's uh, let's go get started. Okay. Um, what uh, what have you been driving? Well, I had some fun stuff to drive this week. So right now in my driveway is the Toyota Rav Four. So I have just like the I don't know. Is it kind of the go to? crossover for people i mean this thing sounds i think like, it's the best selling right now yeah i know wasn't it wasn't it tied for with the um crv at one point or weren't they weren't they duking it out yeah I it's i think last i checked it was a little bit ahead um and you know it had overtaken the camry as the best selling non-truck so <laughs> you know the best selling nameplates in the u.s are the f-150 the gm trucks and the ram um uh, 1500 and then after that you have the everything else and the RAV4 for the last couple of years has been the top seller. So it's kind of a big deal. It's a little bit of a big deal. Yeah. Say it's a big deal. So they made a couple of changes. It's no like big re, redone all new. I don't even think it's refresh. It's just sort of like typical. There've been some changes this year, I think is how I would describe this one. We've got the handy dandy. Just the usual model year to model year updates. Usual, like we adjusted a few things to make it better, but nothing to knock your socks off. So um, you can get this with a gas, a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid, which they call the prime, just like they have the Prius prime. Uh Um, I just had the gas. So I have the the traditional, is that a traditional engine now? It's a gas. Yeah. Internal combustion. Internal combustion engine. Um, So it's a 2.5 liter four cylinder. It has 203 horsepower, 184 pound feet of torque. Uh, It's an eight speed automatic transmission. Uh, There's all wheel drive. This trim is priced at 33,770. That's what I have for my base price on this one. Um, but there's a couple little extra bits and pieces that they've added on. Um, there's the larger touchscreen on this one, a fancy audio system, and it has the adventure grade convenience package, which is a couple little, again, little tiny features to make it a little bit better. So my total all in with destination that I'm going to make you guess price is $39,894. 
So just comes under 40, Sam. What do you think the destination is all on you? I mean, you win. Um, uh, well, in that case, it's got to be $1. <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll guess I'll guess 995 bucks. No, it's surprisingly a good chunk higher. $1,330, oh. oh, wow. which I was surprised how high that was. I guess I'm, I'm not as surprised as I would have been a couple of years ago. I mean, yeah. everybody's been jacking up their delivery charges. This is true. So it's not like it's, you know, so, but on net, 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 all done, you're going to get this for under 40 grand. So it's not cheap, but it's a decent price because you're getting one that has a lot of features. It's nice. The interior, it's it's still, it's a Toyota. They have nice interiors, even in the fancier trims. They're never something that you look at and you think like, wow, this is an upscale. It's not, it's not supposed to be a luxury brand. You want that, go find a Lexus, you know? So it's, but it still has a nice interior. I think Toyota does a good job of still providing something that is comfortable and like appealing when you open the door, even though you don't have super fancy, expensive materials. Um, it's roomy inside their seating. Like I said, I think I said for five front row passengers, doesn't matter how big you are. Even Robbie, I think is going to be able to get comfortable in the front row of a RAV4. Um, if you're in the back seat, again, it's still pretty roomy. It's, it's a crossover, you know, it's not huge or a compact SUV, however you want to look at it. Um, but there's still a decent amount of headroom and legroom, and it's not one of those that slopes down so aggressively in the back that if you're tall, you're going to feel like your head's headroom's kind of compromised because some of them that look, they look really super sleek on the outside. And then you put anybody over five feet in the back and they're kind of doing this hunched thing. Uh, this one still has good room. It seats three in the back, but I think with just about every cro compact crossover, it seats three. You don't want to do that. You really just want to put no. There. Like you can put three. Too, it's too narrow for, for, well, three kids, you could do it yeah. for three adults, un unless they're, you know, fairly slim shouldered. They're not going to be very comfortable for any length of time. That's it. Like three women might be able to sit back there. Three men with men, you know, men at broader shoulders, generally speaking, you're going to be squished back there. So it's for two people in the back. Um, it's nice to drive. I mean, it has a good amount of power. It's not going to win races. It's not super aggressive, but it's also not dull. It's enough power that it's engaging. You can accelerate fairly easily. The only time you can, if you really mash the gas, like if you're trying to, oh God, I'm about to miss my exit. I may have done that. Slam the gas on and try to get over. It's like, no, no, I choose not to go. It just, it just has a very slow response. And then once it realizes like, oh, wait, she's in a rush, then suddenly it will give you that power. But in that heartbeat, you're like, you are not helping me make the exit I'm about to miss and get in front of these cars to merge over. So it's it's fine acceleration, just typical getting up to highway speed, driving around town. But if you need that boost to power, it's a little bit lacking. Um, the things they added this year, um, there is a larger standard touchscreen. It was seven inches. Now it's eight, but I had a larger touchscreen in this one. And I've just blanked on the size because it's optional. You can get a lot. Oh, it's a 10.5 inch screen. Um, that comes along with a little package. It was like a $1,400 package. It also adds in JBL audio. So it's, it's an extra, otherwise you're going to get an eight inch touchscreen. Uh, you got wireless Apple CarPlay and Android auto that connects pretty well. Um, sometimes I find, Sam, do you ever find this, the wireless Apple CarPlay and Android auto? Sometimes it feels like it takes, like when you're trying to pair it or when you sit back down in the car, it's, it doesn't. Yeah. A lot of times when you first, when you get in the car, you know, with, when you're doing wired, you get in the car, you plug your phone in, start the car, and it's there. As soon as the screen boots up, you're you're there. But with wireless on a lot of vehicles, I find that it takes as much as a minute 
yeah. for it to to re- to find it, reconnect and and get everything going. And so, you know, especially, you know, if you're if you're going if you need to go somewhere and, you know, you need your nav, you know, if you if you're look if you need your directions, you know, it's like okay, you're sitting there waiting for it to catch up, which is why most of the time I just plug in my phone. I do the same thing because even though I like wireless cuz you don't have the cord you know, not a little mess on your center console when you're trying to plug things in. I hate that delay. And it's weird. A minute doesn't seem like a lot until you're sitting and you've just hopped in the car someplace like at a valet stand or something where there's traffic or you're trying to get out of a parking garage. Like when you're in a rush, a minute is a really long time. You feel like everyone behind you is like, come on, move. And you think, I don't know which way to go. I don't have any navigation. So that's when it's frustrating. Um, So I love wireless, but I also hate it for that exact reason. Um, They have digital instrument clusters now on this, like it's a standard digital instrument cluster, which I think is kind of neat because I think as more and more cars have digital instrument clusters, when I get one without one, suddenly I feel like I'm like rocking 1985. (laughs) It just feels really, do you think that like that now when you see them that they don't? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So they sort of feel like weirdly outdated when they don't have a digital instrument cluster. So I like that. Um, it gets good fuel economy. It, it's supposed to get the official on the Monroney I'm holding is 25 city, 33 highway, 28 combined. And I happened to drive this um, to go drive the, uh, the Kia Seltos this year, which was they did the drive program in Newport, Rhode Island. So I just oh. drove to it. Yeah. Which is mostly highway driving, and it's about an hour and forty-five minutes. And I think my it was at about like it was fluctuating back and forth. I was I was around twenty-six miles per gallon, which is good because you think well highways, yeah. But right when you get into Newport, is not highways. You have a lot of twisty, turny streets, stop and go kind of congested traffic. And I hit a little rush hour traffic on the way back, which also didn't help my fuel economy at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was fine to drive for that. It held a good amount of cargo. It's easy to get around in a little city. I mean, when you're in a little city and you don't know where you're going, having a big car as you're trying to suddenly change lanes is a problem. It was nice to have something that was small enough to zip, 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 zip back and forth as I was trying to follow the directions to get out of downtown Newport. Um, so I liked it. The, my only my only like real negative was that if you really want a lot of power, if you need to accelerate really fast and you're already at highway speed, it takes a second to respond. Yep. Yeah, that the you know a lot you know naturally aspirated engines like that 2.5 liter Toyota, um, you know they they generally don't have a lot of low end torque, mm-hmm. so you've got to get them up you know into that three four thousand RPM range before they really start to pull, and uh, the that one doesn't have a CVT right? It's a eight speed. No, it's an eight speed. Yeah, this. Yeah. It's an eight-speed automatic on this one, so it's not a CVT. Although you do get a heck of a lot of noise when you're like, like yeah, you still hear it. It's not the CVT wine, but you hear everything working really, really hard. Did Did you try it in sport mode? I did. I tried it, and I don't find I didn't find significant differences. Did you? Um, it's been a while since I drove a regular Rav Four, uh, but yeah, it was it was not. It didn't make it didn't seem to make a particular difference in the past. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I think for the most part, it's, you know, it's adequate. The performance is adequate. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not going to get your adrenaline pumping, but, uh, yeah. But I feel like that's not what this car is for. This, this no. I mean, you got to give a car credit for doing what it's supposed to do. This is not supposed to be a performance car. It's not supposed to be fast. It's supposed to be a, like a small, efficient 
crossover daily commuter right uh, you know hauling the kids around you right know, so like just you only want, have a couple of kids if you yeah. want power well, okay you're gonna have to get something far more expensive and far less fuel efficient there's a trade-off so yeah. this does what it's supposed to do quite well and i think there you can get can you get the the rav4 now with the 2.4 liter turbo as an option i, I think i think they do because they, they used to have they used to offer a v6 i think i can double check or did they um, no, I think it's just with it as I'm looking now. Okay. Just the two liter four cylinder. That's it. That's your only option. And then you have the the prime. that or the the hybrids and the plug-in hybrids. Right, but so if, if you, you want the if you want a performance wrap four, you got to get the prime. Yeah. Exactly. That's like 300 horsepower and all the electric low end torque. Right. Um, you know, it's al- almost like driving an EV. And that thing, you know, the the prime, if if you can swing the price, you know, it starts at forty thousand dollars. And if you can find one, which is actually the bigger issue. That really is the trick with all of this, right? Like, you know, yeah. exactly the car I want. Mm, we don't have that. If you, if you can, if you can find a RAV4 Prime, you know, you got 40 miles of electric range yep. and, uh, you know, and, and more performance than the gas or the regular hybrid. Um, and so that one would be the one to get if you actually want performance in a RAV4. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you had something else too, right? I did. I also had, and this was for um, a loan, and I, I'm kind of surprised this is one they sort of worked directly to get. I had a Rivian R1S. Um, I have not had a chance to drive a Rivian before or other than like 35 seconds. Uh, so it was nice to actually have some real time with one. First of all, if you want to have a car, uh, then this was the R1S is the SUV, so it's big. Um, it also has a really distinctive sort of oval-shaped lights on the mm-hmm. front. So you are not subtle driving this. Everybody will look at you and go, what? Like, because you just don't, I think even if you're in California, this is not the the car that you're going to see all the time. It's less common and it looks so funky, but like in a good way, I think it looks neat. I like, I like that it looks different. Yeah. They've, they've, they've given it a distinctive face that doesn't look quite like anything else. I mean, you know, when you look at it in profile, yeah, it's a pretty standard SUV shape. Yeah. But from from the front, when you see that face, you see those headlights, you know, oh, okay, that's a Rivian. You know, it's, you know, Jeep has their seven slot grill, you know, and, but Rivian's got those lights. I feel like a lot of them are trying to make more distinctive, like front ends, either through the lights or the, through the grill. And the lights are the easiest way to do it because even Mm -hmm. at night you see the lights, you have no idea what the grill looks like at night, but the lights, those stand out. Like the one I can always recognize behind me is a Volvo because they have those Thor's hammer headlights. Yep. Tell a Volvo when it's behind you because it always has those headlights, even if it's nighttime. You can see that. So I feel like these, the Rivian, you're like, yep, that's a Rivian. Like, there's no way you can mistake this for anything else. So this is a luxury electric SUV. It starts at $78,000. It's not cheap. It's not cheap. This is not the everyman's SUV. Um, but it's really, it feels like that price. Like I always say when you, when you have a luxury car or a high price, even if it's not really truly a luxury vehicle, you still want it to feel like the price it is. I don't want to spend 78 grand and feel like I could get the same thing for 50. Like I want it to look like it costs a little bit more than what everybody else's car looked like. And this does the inside is just absolutely beautiful. It has these rich leather seats and there's these bright orange accents. And even like on the back, the pockets on the back of the front seats have like a little buckly kind of thing, like a little metal accent. It does absolutely nothing other than look cool. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like a premium detail. And on the backs of the headrest, there's a little hook. So you could hang 
like your coat, or I guess if your ladies could hang your purse or whatever bag you wanted to hang there. These are little things. They're not super important. They don't change how your car drives, but they make it feel special. Yeah. Well, and you know, when you're going to, if you're going to pay that much for a vehicle, you, you want those details. You want, you want that stuff that's been, that they thought that somebody thought it took some time to think about and how to implement it. Um, and of course, you know, that those details do add a significant amount to the cost. You know, it's not, it's not a, a trivial cost to add those things, which is why it's expensive. Right. And it doesn't seem like, well, it's just a buckle. Well, yeah, but instead of just making one flat thing, they've got to have the buckles and have them attached and have that. So like it, all these little bits and pieces add to the cost of the vehicle, but I feel like they do it in a good way in this. Um, it's got really impressive power figures. Um, there's different setups you can get. You, they all have all wheel drive, but there's like a dual motor, there's a dual motor performance, and then there's a quad motor. So you get three different flavors of Rivian with varying powers. Power. Except that that quad motor is actually the only one you can get right now. The Correct. others are coming soon. Coming soon. So, so with the quad motor, what you get is 835 horsepower. They say 908 pound feet of torque and a zero to 60 time of three seconds for this behemoth of an SUV. Three seconds. It moves. Yeah. Well, uh, one thing though, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it, I mean, it's big, but it's not, it's not, I wouldn't call it a behemoth. You know, if you've driven the, the Hummer, it's, oh, well, that's it's, it's rather compact well, by comparison. Everything, everything is small compared to a Hummer. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Like a, a super duty truck is small compared yeah. to a Hummer. I mean, this, you know, yeah. this is this is basically the same size as a Grand Cherokee L. Yes. It's, so it's a, long. It's very long. Yeah. Like, look at that profile. It's very long. Like I was looking at it. It's sitting in my driveway. And I looked outside my driveway a few minutes ago. And just looking at that roof. I'm like, man, that is a long roof when you're looking down on it. So it's, it is big. But the thing is, it's like that kind of three. What did I just say? Three seconds. That's yeah. For a, for a large-ish SUV. Um, so you definitely have all the power you could possibly want. Like it's not lacking in power. You want to accelerate, it's going to accelerate. You mash on that pedal, you're going to move. Even if you're already at speed, you have no trouble getting more speed compared to the RAV4 is slightly more responsive. Um, just, a, just a tad. Just a, a skosh. <laughs> um, and so you get, again, there's varying miles of range. And I think the highest range that you can get this with which is with the large battery pack and the quad motor, which is what we have. It's 321 miles per charge, uh, which again is way more than enough than anyone's ever going to need during a typical day. And for the two of you who are like, I don't know, I drive 322 miles where you are not the average person. Like most people <laughs> are going to be fine with 321 miles uh, so that it, it's easy to live with every day. What takes a little bit of getting used to is there's a 16 inch touchscreen that controls all the things, everything. If you want to control something other than turn the wheel, <laughs> it's in that touchscreen, which is good and bad. Like I like, you know, I'm a touchscreen fan. I hate the Mazda fiddly controller, but there's balance between what I want to have a knob for and what I don't. And one of the things that struck me and, and this just, it drove me crazy. So the air vents, you can see them. You can't physically move them. You cannot take your finger and slide the vent and move it from one side to the other. You're like, big deal, whatever. You have to go into the infotainment system and you have, you can select each vent and you can like tap it off and on individually each vent. Then you can like, woo, like slide your finger around and aim that air at any direction you want, which sounds great. And it looks cool. And you feel like, ah, the future is Star Trek. Everything's an infotainment touchscreen, but that's not easy to use when you're driving. And everyone said, well, 
How often do you change the vents when you're driving? I change them a lot. Like the sun suddenly comes through your side of the car and it's beaming you in the face. You're going to want that AC vent pointing right at you, mm-hmm. even though the rest of your passengers might be not in the sun and don't want it. Or like on a really, the flip side, it's winter, it's freezing cold. You have the moment when you sit down and it's 10 degrees, you want all the heat directly on you. But then you kind of want to push those vents a little bit out of the way as the car warms up. Or, you know, you're going transitioning from your defog of the windows to the the heat. Uh, You know, you've got to redirect that stuff. You know, when you get first get in the car on that cold morning, you want your defoggers on. And then sometimes, you know, as you're driving along, you need to go back and forth. You know, if you if you go to turn off the defog and go to heat, you know, your windows start to fog up after a while. You got to switch back and forth. Doing that through a touchscreen interface is a terrible design. Horrible. I mean, it like when you're just sitting there and you look at it, you first start playing with it. You think it's the neatest thing ever. And the second you realize you have to move those vents like that when you're driving, you're like, this is the worst idea ever. You just need, and I literally was playing with vents. I'm like, nope, I, am I missing this? I'm like, nope, nope. I'm going to break this vent that probably costs $5,000. Nope, I'm going to leave it right there because you can see them. Mm-hmm. You grab the little louvers, but you can't move them. I mean, you could, you'll probably break it. You've broken some motor in there. I did chose not to do that, to not make the Rivian people unhappy with me. But so that was, so it's that weird balance. I feel like that, that automakers haven't figured out in the tech. There's a lot of stuff that works well on the infotainment screen. There's a lot of stuff that we really just need to be able to do the old fashioned way. Not everything needs to be technology focused. Sometimes just a louver, you can slide back and forth. That's all you need. Just a little louver. That's it. A knob you can twist to adjust the fan speed. You That's know. all you need, right? Yeah. I don't need all Gr- this. Granted, some of the some of the voice control stuff works pretty well. Like if you want, if you if you just want to adjust the temperature, you know, you can say Alexa, you know, set the temperature to seventy two or sixty five or whatever whatever you're comfortable with. Um, and and they use uh, Rivian uses Alexa voice services for mm-hmm. the voice control, which is kind of. I mean, in my experience, at least, it was kind of hit and miss. It works well sometimes. Navigation, it has trouble with, though. Yeah, I found like asking it to do things, it was like, well, let's see what it's going to do today. Like it was, like you said, hit or miss. Um, still, my favorite voice anything is the system in Toyota and Lexus right now. I feel like their new system, I don't know if it just likes the timber of my voice, but it always hears me. It always responds. It always does what I ask. It's the only one. I don't know. I sometimes think they like certain voices, certain enunciation. I must say things right for it's, their it's, it's worked well for me in everything except the lexus rx yeah that which, one it, it hated you yes it absolutely it refused to recognize that i was asking it to do anything where you were just unknown it was like you're dead to me it's like whatever yeah. you, what you did to take off that car sam but no it was having none of it <laughs> yep. uh, no so the rivian so the rivian is a, is a great experience one of the th- like and it has some neat little um sort of fun features. So there's a key, the key fob that actually unhooks and can be a carabiner, Mm -hmm. clip it to something totally unnecessary, but a nice feature. Then you have a key card. You can also use your phone. We have a key card, looks like a little credit card. If you want to slide that and you even have like a little tiny little wristlet, like a little rubber wristlet that's waterproof that you can use that. So if you were going swimming or something and you don't want to have to bring anything with you, you could just bring this. You can lock everything else in the truck. Lock all your stuff in the truck. And yeah. yeah. So like nice little features. Again, it goes to that whole luxury pricing, luxury features. These are not huge things, but they do make your life a little bit easier. And I feel like that's a lot of what a luxury vehicle should do. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed my time in it. I think 
the thing that might be the deal breaker for me on it, like, okay, Nicole, you got $70,000 to burn. Is this going to be it? A touchscreen. The touchscreen controls are a little too much for me. I can, I can see that. I, I felt, I felt exactly the same way. Did that you? is to me, the, the single biggest flaw with both this and the R1T mm-hmm. is having, and you know, to be fair, they are, Rivian's not the only one that does this. You oh, know, correct. Te- te- Tesla pioneered this and mm-hmm. they, they basically did follow the same template as Tesla. Um, you know, so they have, every, you know, Tesla, you know, with the Model 3 and the Model Y in particular, they have everything in the touchscreen. And, you know, on the steering wheel, you've got a couple of rollers, roller and rocker switches on the spokes that are unlabeled uh, yeah. because what they do depends on the mode that you're in. <laughs> it, it varies. That's also, I find... I find that confusing. The only thing I can think, Sam, is after you've driven, like we have the car for a week, right? Yeah. Drive, we have it for a day. If I have this car every day, all week, you know, for a month or two or three months, would it suddenly become very intuitive? I'm going to think it might, you know, like you start to learn where things are in your car and you don't really think about it anymore. So I'm thinking it's just, there's a certain learning curve that takes some time. I'd rather not have that learning curve to adjust things. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I think for the, the steering wheel controls, I think that's true. I think, you know, for the stuff that's in the touchscreen, you know, you will have a better idea. You'll, you'll learn where the stuff is in the menus, but you still have to look at the screen to actually control it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a problem. That's a challenge. If you still have to look at the screen, you know, the whole thing point is to, to not take your eyes off the road for too long. And they're doing everything they can, even with screen positioning and things to keep your eyes as close to the road. When you do have to shift down to look at the screen, this takes your eyes off the road and it really takes them off the road. You know, yep. everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets or McCrispy sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. All right. Well, um, I had uh, a late change of plans in my drive schedule this week. I was supposed to have a Mach-E so that I could try out the new Blue Cruise 1.2, um, but um Day before, I got a note from Ford saying, yeah, we need the Mach-E for something else, um, and we'll get you rescheduled in that. So they sent me a Ford Bronco Heritage Edition. Ooh, which one? Heritage. Those are all the fancy colors, right? Um, that's Yeah, the one I've got is race red with white. So the Heritage, the Heritage Edition is a trim level they launched for the 2023 models um, that basically has some color combinations that are kind of a throwback to old school late 60s, early 70s Broncos. So, you know, it already had the design cues of of those old Broncos, but now you've got kind of that early 70s color cues. So this one has, the the body is in race red with um, a white stripe down the side, down, down each side, white top and white wheels. And the wheels, um, they're 
similar to the ones that you can get on the Bronco Sport that um, they're they're alloy wheels, cast alloy wheels, but they have you know these slots in them, so they they actually look like steel wheels. That's cool. So you know it looks like you know seventy. You know in, if you look at go go back and look at photos of a lot of you know early SUVs and vans and stuff from the seventies. Um, you know, they often had these white painted steel wheels. And so these look like steelies. But they're that. actually cast alloy. Yep. I think um, I love the look of steelies. I think that's yeah. and and then there's also the white grill and then the red Ford, um, word Ford in the grill. Uh so it looks it looks pretty cool. It's it's a cool looking truck. Yeah. Um the Heritage Edition comes standard with the Sasquatch package, um, which means you get, you know, the good off-road stuff. Um, you get the 35 inch wheels, so they're 35 inch tires, uh, mud terrain tires, um, with, with the white, uh, the white wheels. And it's a, it's a pretty cool, pretty, pretty fun look to it. Um, I, I like the design. Um, the one I have is the two door. You can get it as a four door as well. Um, and it's a 2.3 liter four cylinder EcoBoost mm-hmm. with a manual transmission. Um, uh, <laughs> and so it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a going to be kind of a rarity. I think, you know, the number of these that are going to be built in this combination is probably going to be pretty small. I think most people are going to go for the 10 speed automatic. This is a seven speed manual, which is really actually a six speed, um, because the one ratio is a crawl ratio. It's for when oh, you're off-roading. That's so call it a seven speed. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's got seven speeds. It's just, there's only six that you're ever going to use on the road. You're, oh, you're, <laughs> you're not going to want to use the crawl ratio on the road, you know, unless you want to be driving along at 10 miles an hour at 5,000 RPM. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a crawler. Um, but you know, that's what this thing is designed for, you know, put the Sasquatch package on there and everything, you know, this is designed for going off road. Yeah. Um, it's got, you know, the one I have, uh, the, the top, it's the hard top, the modular hard top. So, comes off in a bunch you know in like i think seven different pieces so you got four rooftop panels that you can take off individually over each of the seats um and then the two rear quarter panels the quarter windows um and then the um the rear glass the rear uh, i think can also come off mm-hmm. um and then the the spare is mounted on the um on the uh, tailgate which swings open sideways as it does on all broncos and you can take the doors off and and all that stuff i I haven't bothered to do any of that this time i've I've done that in the past um the uh with the four-cylinder engine yeah it's 275 horsepower um you know this is you know it's not a lightweight vehicle but it's not ridiculously heavy either you know it and the two-door um four-cylinder manual is about 4300 pounds so it's, you know, it's chunky, but it's not, it's not absurd. Uh, you know, it's like less than half of the weight of a, of a Hummer EV. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, with those big tires on there uh, and the gearing, you know, it's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's accelerating excessively rapidly. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> like not slow. Not accelerating yeah. excessively rapidly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's, Let's just say this is this is not a Mustang and it, it's not a Bronco Raptor. You know, the, the Raptors, you know, quite a bit quicker. Yeah. Um, and but you can you can also get this, you know, the heritage, as with all other Broncos, with the 2.7 liter uh, V6, which is about uh, 315 horsepower and a fair bit more torque than the four cylinder. 
but you can't get the V6 with the manual. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's adequate, um, for, for performance. Um, and it's got enough performance for, for off-roading as well. You know, it's got enough torque there for off-roading. Um, so if you want, you know, if you like the idea of, you know, manual transmission, when you're crawling over boulders and stuff like that, you know, this has got you covered. And, you know, the two door, you know, if you're going to do rock crawling, um, you know, is probably the one to have because the shorter wheelbase, you know, you've got on all of them, you've got fairly short overhangs. So you got good approach and departure angles. Um, but the, oh, with the two door, you got the shorter wheelbase. So you got more of a breakover angle as well, which is going to make it a lot easier when you're going over the, the really rough stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got good ground clearance. There's plenty, plenty of ground clearance. Um, there's fixed running boards on here, but they're like tucked right up to the body. So they're, they're not hanging down. So climbing in and out because of the 35 inch tires, you know, it's, it's fair. It's a bit of a climb up into this thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, because the, the, the rock or the, the running, the, um, um, the running boards don't extend down from the body, you know, you still got a, it's a pretty good step up to get up into it. Yeah. Back seat, um, you know, is snug for a couple of people. It's, you know, comparable to what you get in a Wrangler. Um, you know, so it's not, you know, it, it'll, it can take a couple of people, but you know, you, you're not going to want to do a long distance road trip in this, in this thing with people in the back and, you know, the cargo space behind the back seat is also relatively limited. Um, but you know, it's, uh, if if what you're if what you need is space for carrying more people on a regular basis and more cargo space, then what you probably want is the four door anyway. Right, because it's not easy to get in. I mean, yeah. you can in the back, but it's it's like it's a little bit of a you got to be a little flexible. A little, little bit of contortion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. So you know the the Broncos start at about thirty four or thirty five thousand dollars. You know for a base four cylinder manual transmission. Bronco without without anything on it. Mm-hmm. Um, this one um, came in at uh, let's see forty nine thousand eight hundred and fifty dollars. Um, you want to guess on the? Uh... I'm gonna go with I'm always wrong. I'm gonna go with nine ninety five. Seventeen ninety five. Oh God, I was way too low. Holy yeah. Seventeen ninety five. Yep. Wow. Big big uh, delivery charges on these. Um, one, one other detail, uh, about the, the heritage edition, in addition to the white trim on the outside, you also have a white trim panel on across the dashboard, okay. um, which again, looks pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's different, you know, it's not what you typically find on most vehicles. And okay. then it's got Bronco in red across the passenger side. Um, you know, for that $50,000, you know, that's with the base, um, sync four system on there. So that's like an eight inch screen. So it's by modern standards, that's a relatively small screen in there. Uh, it does have, uh, Android auto and CarPlay, uh, both wireless, uh, capable. Um, yeah. And like the, uh, the RAV4, if you're using it wirelessly, it, it takes, you know, when you start the, the vehicle, it takes mm, probably more like about 30 seconds to get going. It's not quite as bad as the, as the Toyota. Um, but it, you know, it still takes a while. If you plug it in and it just, you know, comes up immediately. You think they're going to figure out that, that out, Sam, Sam, put on your engineering hat for a second. How hard of an issue is that to overcome so that the wireless doesn't have that delay? 
I, I have had some cars like uh, some GM vehicles where it comes up almost immediately. Okay. There you so, go. So, you know, it can be done, um, but it, you know, it does it, wireless is always tough, you know, especially, you know, when you've got changing conditions, you know, especially if you've got multiple people using the vehicle and you've got maybe multiple phones that are paired to it, you know, trying to figure out which one to use, um, you know, that it, thing, things can get a little, a little hairy there. Um, the the one I the the Bronco I have also has the auxiliary switch package which goes up on the the roof by the by the mirror so you've got six pre-wired switches for you know if you want to put a winch on there or exterior lights and other stuff um you know you've got a lot of a lot of you can uh, it's all pre-wired and I think there's a there's a connector under the hood where you can hook all that stuff up so you don't have to run the wires and the switches um the uh uh I did the I did uh get download the uh, trail package which was actually uh just uh released last week the trail app. Okay. Um so this is something that uh Ford has worked with somebody on so you can um it's got trail maps. Uh so if you're going to go off-roading um then uh you can use this to uh and it's supported in CarPlay and Android Auto as well. If you go um, off-roading? Uh yeah, to go off-roading. Uh, and then you can put I your phone, you can, shot? Yeah. uh, I didn't, I didn't have a chance. I didn't have time to, to take ah. it to an ORV park. Um, my favorite ORV park was closed this weekend, so I didn't oh. have a chance to go up there. Um, but, um, I, I getting it all paired up is a little bit of a challenge yeah. when I first tried it, um, with carp, when I tried it, uh, I tried it with, um, uh, with an Android phone, um, and, when I tried to log into the the trail app, it would not go to the login screen. It kept crashing. Um, and uh, then I tried it with an iPhone and I could get logged into the trail app on the phone. Uh, but when it tried to connect to the, the, the Bronco, it kept saying, you know, incompatible vehicle. Um, and so I sent a note to, uh, to our friend, Mike over at Ford and, <laughs> And said, "Hey, you know, I'm having some issues with this. You know, and I explained, you know, what, and I, I did a little screen recording on my, yeah. on my Pixel to, you know, show him what was happening, how it was crashing. Um, and um, then the next day, he got back to me uh, and said, try, okay, try it again now.' And I guess he passed the information along to the the engineering guys, and uh, apparently they fixed something on the server side that corrected it. Um, so, so then it works. And what you can do with that is you have, like I say, you have trail maps on there. Uh, I think for free you get, um, I can't remember. I think it's like 700 trail maps. Uh, and then you can get a subscription to get a couple of thousand trail maps. Um, and you, if you mount your phone, um, on a bracket on the, on the windshield, you can use the camera on the phone to record as you're, as you're driving. So it, it records all that stuff. So it's, it's pretty cool. If you're actually going to do some off-roading with a Bronco, I would definitely recommend that you get the, the trails app, uh, the Bronco trails app, the app is free. And like I said, the, the free version um, gets you several hundred uh, trails that you can use. And so it'll, you can put in, you know, put in your location um, and then it'll show you where there's ORV parks available near you or trails available near you and then bring it up in the navigation. So, uh, it all, it all works pretty well. Um, let's see what else, um, fuel efficiency actually was not as bad as I expected. Um, 
you know, I've, I've done mostly a bunch of highway driving because I had a couple of trips to Detroit and a trip to Royal Oak this week. And it's averaged um, just about 19 miles per gallon, which is, is not terrible. Oh, um, considering what it is. Yeah. You know, I mean, considering this thing has the aerodynamics of a barn door, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's acceptable. Um, yeah. It's, uh, but, it is not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think if you want, you know, some of the other cool, like you have for this $50,000 price point, you get things like the locking front and rear differentials. You get, you know, the rear, um, uh, yeah, front and rear differential locks. You don't get the trail control or the trailer, the trail turn assist. Um, you have to step up to a different package to get that. So that, that adds more to the cost if you want those features. And if you're gonna if you're gonna go off roading, I would definitely seriously consider you know getting whatever package has the trail turn assist in there because that is a re- when you're on really tight trails, that is so helpful. When they had us try that out when they did the launch of the Bronco, and I was like, okay, whatever. You you literally feel like you're just pivoting on a dime, like you turn yeah. so tight. It is unbelievable. Like you because they have us. They have a course a preset trail they know we can make it through so in your head you know that you can make it through and you're like i can make it through that it just looks so tight so when you use that you're like that was not just it wasn't even hard it was super simple and easy so yeah if you really do technical driving if you really go off-road oh my gosh you need that yeah because what it does is when when you enable that and you turn the steering wheel all the way to lock in either direction and and then go um it it basically applies full brakes to the inside rear wheel and locks the inside rear wheel. So the, the, the truck, the, the Bronco just turns around that wheel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's almost like a tank turn uh, works really well. So that's, that's a very handy feature to have. Um, what else? Oh, the, you know, the ride quality on this thing, even with the, the Sasquatch package was actually surprisingly good. Uh, you know, nice thing is, you know, <laughs> this time of year, we still got a lot of potholes around here. <laughs> The 35 inch tires, nice tall sidewalls, no danger of popping a tire on a Michigan pothole, pothole. Which is um, something in Michigan or New Hampshire. Yeah, well, g- given <laughs> given that you know the uh, I've had two flats, you know, in the so span of about four that. months. Yes. Um. So this, you know, this one worked. This one worked out fine. Um. Uh. So when you're going around corners, um. You know, if you're going around corners a little too quick, you can feel that it's it's a little soft. You know, it's not. We're not talking, you know, Mustang handling here, you know, it's, but it's what you would expect for an, from when an off-road vehicle. you look a Bronco that can handle like a Mustang, it's a Bronco when it's off-roading, it's a Mustang when it's Oof. off-roading. I'm not sure. Car. <laughs> that, that would be a tough challenge. Um, but do it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, no, definitely, uh, you know, it's it's fun to drive um, and uh, you, you do have to pay attention when, you know, visibility out of it is not great. It's better than the, the Hummer. But it's still not great because you're up fairly high. You know, you've got very horizontal hood that goes straight out. Um, and, you know, it's easy. You know, you got to pay attention. You know, if there's something in front of you or behind you, um, you know, it's, it would be very easy for things to get missed back there. Yeah. Um, oh, one other detail that I, that I found particularly annoying on this one. That- because this is a manual transmission, you know, you drive, when you drive a manual transmission, which I do, um, you know, you get used to using the handbrake, the, the parking brake when you park the car to keep it from rolling away. Um, you know, with automatics, the automatic transmission has a parking pole in there that does that. It locks the transmission so it can't roll. Um, 
this one does not have a traditional manual parking brake. It's an electronic park brake. And the switch for the electronic park brake is underneath the left-hand side of the dash. And it's kind of down low and it's not really visible. You know, if you want to see where it is, you kind of have to reach your head around the steering wheel to see it. Um, and it's, it's easy to forget that it's there. Um, and so it, it's a little bit of a pain to use. Um, so I would definitely recommend if you're driving one of these, you know, at the very least, make sure you put it in gear when you park it, don't leave it parked in neutral. So it doesn't roll away. Um, but yeah, so that's the, that's the Bronco heritage edition. I like the Bronco. I just like the look of the heritage edition. I think when they yeah. do the heritage, they don't always call it that any kind of sort of throwback car. I, I think that it's nice to see a modern car that's actually designed to look like it's not. I think that's kind of fun. Yeah. All right. Um, so I believe that in the past week, you also drove uh, a, a sort of SUV-ish type of vehicle that um, maybe was did not leave you quite as happy? Yeah. So, okay. I really wanted it to be good, Sam. I drove the VinFast VF8. So uh, I drove this once before in Vietnam back in September. They flew a whole bunch of us out there, um, but it was a very short drive. They you know, gave us a tour that included very, very many things in a very brief amount of time in the car, which we knew going out. Um, and at that time, I really kind of felt like, okay, guys, this isn't quite shipping to the US yet. You need to do some work. There were some things that I was like, hmm. This is not ready. And to their credit, they developed this thing really, really, really fast. I think they maybe went a little too fast. So then I thought, okay, now we've got the U.S. first official media drive for this. And they had, I was actually on the wave with a Canadian journalist. So it was the nicest automotive wave I've ever been on in my life. Everyone was very polite. <laughs> um, so did I, they say sorry a lot? They did. In fact, one kept saying sorry just to kind of mess with me. I'm like, stop it. Now you're not being a nice Canadian. <laughs> um, so there is so well, we, they, were, they were probably saying sorry, you know, in place of uh, in place of the VinFast people. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. In place of them. So they had it for us to drive. They had the VF nine, which is the next one coming out, which is supposed to be coming out this fall, I think. So there's not even a very long time frame between the VF eight, which is actually on the roads today in the US. They've delivered 300 units. And I think they said something like 1500 more are about to be ready to be delivered. So this isn't like a coming soon. This is here you could see one driving down the road and the VF9 is coming in the fall. So I don't really see, here's the thing. I hate to just bash a vehicle and sound like I'm bashing a vehicle to be a jerk. I'm not, I want the VinFast to be good. I want them to succeed. Tons of time and energy and man hours and blood and tears go into every vehicle that we ever drive. This one just doesn't quite feel ready. And it's like, if any one of the things that are wrong felt wrong, it'd be okay. But so many things aren't quite there. The fit and finish on the inside isn't there. When I shut the door, the door handle is like the kind of, you know what I'm, you're going to know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think how to verbalize this. The plastic, when you drive something that's pre-production and it's not the finished plastic that you will drive when you have it. And you can just tell when you look at it, it looks a little off. It feels a little. It doesn't thin. have, they don't have the texturing on it. You know, they're, they're using a, a pre-production mold. That's just very smooth, yeah. no texturing, no, you know, it doesn't necessarily have the right color match and things like that. That's what the actual handle is like. And it flexes a little bit when you grab it and goes like it squeaks, right? All of them had that same handle. Maybe not all squeaked like mine, but they all had that handle. Um, the leather isn't quite tight enough on the seat. So you see spots where there's sort of a little bit of a buckle, like a little bit of a lump in it. No big deal, right? Yeah. Until you sit in that seat over and over. Now that buckle becomes a crease 
and now you have a problem with your leather seats. Um, then, so that was, so the fit and finish things just don't feel quite right. The infotainment screen, which I should have the size in front of me and I don't, but they have a large infotainment screen. There is no instrument cluster. There's just the infotainment screen and it's large. So like the left hand, I'm going to say maybe third of the screen serves as your instrument cluster. So you're glancing over there for your speed and for anything related to your vehicle, which takes a little getting used to. And here's a weird thing. I thought I was having a hard time getting used to shifting my eyes constantly right if I wanted to check things that were there. because I, And I thought my sinuses were messed up because I've been flying and it's allergy season because I was getting ever so slightly like the sort of motion sick sensation. I was driving. I don't make myself motion sick when I drive. And I'm like, wow, I just must have like sinus issues until the reviews of this came out. And another journalist said for the first time in his life, he got motion sick. And I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> is it actually the movement of the car? So I didn't peg it to that at the time. But now I'm like, oh my gosh, was that actually it? Because I only felt that when I was driving it. Um, and that has to do with the suspension system. It's very, it's weirdly sloppy. Like if you, if you go over a little hump in the road, like if you think, you know, you go over a speed bump and you get that like, foom, 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 like kind of like bump, 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 it kind of like yeah. sways a little. Well, imagine that just on any kind of little hilly kind of bump in the highway, but it, in the road, but it goes more like you feel like you're driving a much heavier vehicle for the amount of sway that you get. Say a typical sedan sways once, thunk, thunk, and it's done. This is like thunk, 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 thunk. Like it takes a second for that motion to stop. Like it's severely underdamped. Yes, like it's severely underdamped. So you're like, whoa, that's too much motion. Um, same thing left to right. Like when you turn that, that the time it takes for it to resettle, if you do turn to the right, turn to the left, or you know, changing lanes, it takes a little too long. Um, the <laughs> It's so many things, Sam. The um, ADAS, the driver assistance stuff. I don't know what was happening. I was getting error messages that kept popping up. I had a yellow triangle that kept popping up with an exclamation point. I don't know what it was yelling at me. It was just a yellow triangle. It, there was no indication to why it was an angry yellow triangle with an exclamation point. And sometimes it was on and sometimes it was off and sometimes it's blinked. And then there were other messages that came up for like, boom, boom. And I couldn't tell if that was a too quick warning or if it's like not working, no, I'm back. Like, I don't even know what was going on with those systems. Um, it was, and, and then the lane keep assist, I'm going to say it was lane keep assist. So that if like you drift a little to the right, it's too sensitive, like redonkulously so. So I am driving literally in a straight line, very consciously, like keep this thing as centered as a human can center a vehicle. And if I just ever so slightly move to the right, it wants to correct me and bring me back to the center, but it does it so aggressively that it literally throws me into the other lane of traffic. I couldn't drive this with one hand. I couldn't take one hand off the wheel because it was so aggressive in its corrections. I had to be ready to correct it back and say, nope, I'm in the correct lane. That is oncoming traffic. I'd prefer to stay on this side of the road. Um, it was it's not ready. And a lot of these things are things that can be like over the air updates. You can change how your, these systems work. It's not like necessarily well, some, some things, things like, you know, the damping, you can't change that with an over the air update. That has to, you that can't change the steering feel with an OTA that, update. That's it. But like the, the ADAS stuff, let's say they can fix that with software, right? Engineering man, they could do that. Couldn't they? Could they? To a that? point. Okay. It dep depends on what the hardware is that's on the car. See, and I'm trying to I'm trying to cut them some slack because <laughs> I don't I really don't like having a vehicle that there's just a lot that I don't like. And it was this collective, even the you know how the and I did one of the things I did like so in the infotainment system when you have it in um, 
CarPlay, sometimes getting out of CarPlay and getting back into the car's native infotainment, native system is a little bit funky. It doesn't, you have to swipe a screen or two or, you know, to get back. This one, you just text any of the spots. If you touch anything that's like where the instrument cluster is, anything that's sort of like black screen, you know, that's not actively showing something, boom, it takes you right back to the system's native infotainment. I'm trying to come up with something. Don't you laugh, Sam? Um, no, I, I mean, you know, this, there's, um, Jalopnik had a piece uh, yesterday or the day before um, the, the headline, and this is sort of a summary of, you know, some of the highlights of the reviews. Critics agree. The VinFast VF8 is very, very bad. From flaky turn signals to broken ADAS features and a, sus- and a suspension that induces nausea, critics are not impressed with VinFast's first electric SUV for America. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that we've, we've often talked about, you know, in the cars that, that we review it, and I think over the last several years, I think we've all come to the conclusion that even the quote unquote worst cars mm-hmm. available today, you know, stuff like the Mitsubishi Mirage yes. are not terrible. You know, they're, they're just, you know, they feel cheap. You know, they're like the, I, I like the, the wrap up on this uh, Jalopnik piece. The real commonality between all these accounts is that overnight, the VF8 has obliterated the notion that there are no terrible cars for sale anymore. Frankly, it's hard to remember the last time a car released to overwhelming disdain, a car that every critic agreed simply wasn't ready. And And you said this last September when you came back from Vietnam, you know, we were sitting in that hotel room in Montana. I know. And here's the, like, it, it pains me. If you could see the expressions I'm making as I'm talking, (laughs) it pains me to have to be this hard on a car because I am not the person that hates a car just to hate a car. I don't hate it just because Everybody else says it's not good. I don't hate it just to be that a-hole that's like, yeah, this car is garbage. You're not just being cranky. It's I'm not it's a, this is a truly bad car. This is truly not good. And the thing of it is though, Sam, I feel like like if they had just taken more time to do it, if they just taken more but time to do it. When you know, when we talked about this that when you came back from Vietnam, you know, at that point they were saying, Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna deliver cars in December. This was in September. You said they were going to deliver cars in December. And you, and your response to that was, you know, you should really take another six months, mm-hmm. you know, give, give it another six months, re- do some refinement on it. And we're now middle of May, mm-hmm. you know, so almost six months on from when they were originally planning to deliver cars. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like it's gotten notably better. It doesn't. The only thing that I could say was noticeably better. Now, I also have to say, Remember, I drove this for maybe 10 or 15 minutes in Vietnam. It was a really short drive. Mm-hmm. This, this was a proper drive program. We had hours in this car, so we really drove it. So some of this I may not have noticed on a really short drive. It could have been the same or they may have made it better and it's still not great. The one thing I did notice was that the acceleration was better. When I drove it in Vietnam, I felt like it did not accelerate the way that it should have for an electric vehicle. It felt woefully held back. They talked a lot at the time about how the percentage of charge in the battery significantly impacts acceleration because they throttle it down on purpose to preserve battery life. I felt like it accelerated more strongly now than it did then, but it still didn't have quite the pep I expected. 
Like that was noticeably different to me, positive. That was noticeably different that it accelerated better than it did before. I like how it looks on the outside. Like the styling is kind of fun. I know some people think the front is too busy. I actually like the way this looks. Yeah, it's, it doesn't look, it's not a bad looking car. I, like for me, it looks great. I think the exterior styling is fantastic. I really like what they did on the outside. I really like how it looks. So styling wise, I think it's great. Unfortunately, it's the substance part of it is that you don't have, it just, everything feels like it needs to be tweaked a little, you know, I had people, but, but, it, but it's okay though, because you know, this thing gets 350 miles and only costs $30,000, right? No, no, oh. this thing actually cost $50,000 uh, is the base price on this. And I believe right now you can only lease it. And I think the lease is $414 a month. Um, so this is a, that's the other part of it. This is a $50,000 car. You know what I was saying about the Rivian 78 and it feels like 78. This does not feel like 50. The thing is, I couldn't, I couldn't recommend this even at a lower price because I don't think the ADAS systems work, the, the driver assistance systems work well enough to be on the road right now. I wouldn't recommend it for the queasiness that it induces. I wouldn't recommend it for the low power. If those things worked, Let's say for a second, those things worked. I still don't think it feels like a $50,000 car. I think it should be a $30,000 car. It's it's overpriced, even if it's working. There's not enough on the inside to make it feel, to command that premium $50,000 price point. Um, but as it stands right now, I couldn't, I could not recommend it. And it kills me to say that because I, I, I've literally never said that about a car before, Sam. I've never driven a car where I thought, I could, if someone was telling me they were considering this right now on May 14th at 1238 PM, I'd be like, don't get it yet. Hold, see if they're able to fix things. See what happens. If you're really set on wanting to try in fast on wanting to get a new EV from a new automaker who is not just, it's like they've been in Vietnam, but they are new to the U S and you really they haven't even been in Vietnam that long. I mean, I think they, uh, their first cars were like 2017 or 2018. Yeah, it's maybe been five years. So, but at least they've been there five years. Like, <laughs> they're, they're not brand spanking new. They've had car gas cars in Vietnam since then. But if you really want to give them a shot and you really want to, you really are into this for some reason, just hold a second. Like, if you don't need to buy, hold and see what they do because I just, don't feel like this is ready. And I really wish they had done more in the last six months. I don't know what changes were made, but I mean, it was, it was pretty uniformly. Like you said, everybody panned this and it, I'm not lying. It breaks my heart to be this hard in a car. I want to say this is great, but these things are horrible. It looks good. The styling is great. That's about all I can give it. <laughs> and and the range is mediocre. Yeah. The the VF8, uh, according to the, e the EPA website, the VF8 Eco is rated at 207 miles. The VF8 Plus is only 191 miles. Those aren't good. I mean, you're getting a $50,000 car with those kinds of numbers for range. That's not great. It's not great. And I had, and on my particular wave, there were people that like, I had problems that let me continue driving. There were two journalists, I believe that had problems that didn't allow them to continue driving. So like, it just, it's a hundred ways, not ready. And the people at VinFast, you know, not just the people at the very top of the food chain who, of course, you know, in any company, the guys at the top are going to say, this is an amazing vehicle. We built the next best thing. Everybody seems to be very vested in making this work. Like you feel like the people are genuinely looking to try and produce a good car. There's a genuine sense of excitement from the people at VinFast and they are very forthcoming. I know there were some criticisms about them not 
really giving you the full thing. I always felt like any miscommunications I got from VinFast were genuine, honest, like, oh, I thought it was this. She thought it was that. Sorry, this is the answer. Like they will get to you with the information. Sure, and that happens. Right, and that happens. So I have no criticism of how VinFast is handling things. Like their PR people, their team, all that top notch. And they're working really hard to get you what you need. But the car is not, it's not ready. And like I said, there's 300 of these that have been delivered in the U.S. already. I, I, I don't, I don't know. It, more more from you know excerpts from the Jalopnik piece. You know, Scott Evans at Motor Trend says, I may not like the way a turn signal sounds, but I expect it to work every time I use it. One of the VF8s at the launch event couldn't do that. Okay. Similarly, multiple VF8s, including our test vehicle, which had fewer than 1,300 miles on it, had HVAC systems that could only blow cold air when set below 80 degrees and only blow hot air when set above 80, but never warm or cool air, regardless of whether automatic or manual climate was selected. And see, these are things. And the thing that's baffling about this, Sam, Sam, like we've been doing this for a long time. You and I have driven a Mm -hmm. lot of cars. Every now and then we'll get in a car at a launch program and we're all like, what the heck happened? Why isn't this working? And Toyota or Lexus or Ford, whoever's like, what the heck? And there was a software issue and somehow we've all discovered it or there's an issue we've all discovered and they address it. Like, you yeah. don't know why that's doing that. You see panicked engineers taking notes and it's like, oh crud, and they fix it. Imagine this times a thousand. <laughs> like <laughs> so many things. I don't know how, and it's already shipping. I mean, it's not even like ship, finish it before it ships. It is shipped like this. We have sent it this way. There are people driving these this way. Yeah, based on what you described with the uh, the lane keep assist, you know, it's it sounds like it's not even safe to drive. I I I I hesitate to say that something's unsafe because I feel like that's a really strong judgment. But that lane keep assist made me nervous. It made me nervous because. You know, you drive, you don't clutch the steering wheel for dear life with a white knuckled grip, just driving casually on the highway in California. You got your hands on the wheel and you're paying attention. But this was, it was hard enough and jerky enough that I would not take my other hand off the wheel at all. And when I had to take my hand off, I was holding really tightly because it is an aggressive, it's very aggressive and that's not safe. It was, and it wasn't, it also wasn't that I had drifted. It was, I started thinking like, what is wrong? And if I just get really, even just close to the lane, the edge of the lane, I don't even have to drift out of it. Like over the, it's, it's like, wham, you're, you're drifting out. It's like, no, I'm not. And I would still prefer to stay on my side of the road. (laughs) So yeah, I, I just, I, I can't recommend it. I really hope VinFast figures it out. That's sort of the caveat to it all. I'm not hating I don't hate, I'm not hating on the company. I'm hating on the fact that the product they made could be better. And they, if they gave it more time, they could be ready. And I, I want them to figure it out. I would like to see them make some changes. I'd like to see them make some changes fast because if they don't, I don't, I don't know where this goes from here. I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Sam? Can they, can they overcome the scathing reviews that you just read off? Well, I mean, do you remember when Hyundai started in the United States? Yes. They had a really, really rough start. You know, their quality was terrible. Now, granted, you know, the uh, at that time the cars were a lot simpler than they are today, um, and you know they were they were able to overcome that. It took a while. It took them some a few years, and you know they eventually had to you know resort to doing ten year warranties. You know to demonstrate that they were going to stand behind these things, mm-hmm. and you know they're 
very successful now. You know, they're, I think, they're fifth, fifth, fifth largest automaker in the world. But, you know, they still have, it's even after, what year was Hyundai introduced? Do you know what year, however many years? Uh, I think they launched the the original Sonata in the U.S. in 86 or 87, the Sonata and the Accent. So it's a long number of years. But- yeah. And there's still people who, you know, don't think highly of Hyundai. Yeah, like I think very highly of Hyundai and Kia. I think their cars are great. I, I have no hesitation recommending. As long as you get one with a push button start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, I, I have no problem recommending those to people. No reservations recommending those as a car. People are looking for cars. And that's one of the ones I'll rattle off whatever segment it is that they're shopping. But sometimes when I say that still, there are more than a few no- people that are like, wait, you're rec- those are those are garbage. Those are junk. And I'm like, well, not anymore. They've been quite good for quite some time. 1986, it's 2023, and people are still trying to shake the notion that Hyundai builds garbage cars. They don't. They build great cars. They truly, truly do. But there's a lot of people who don't believe it. Can VinFast pull off the same thing? A really rough start, fix it, and have people say in, because they can't go that long, you know, like however many years, wait, they fixed it, they've changed it. Like the PR effort that's going to be required to overcome this, like that VF9 had best be a gift from God if they are expecting yeah. people to buy into VinFast. There have to be big changes for that one. I'm hoping they can do it. I genuinely hope they can do it. Um, all right, let's move on from VinFast. Okay. Um, you also drove, I believe, the GMC Canyon. I did. What do you think one- of that? GMC Canyon. Hey, that was that actually everything worked. All the things worked. <laughs> Turn signals and everything. Turn signals worked. No nausea. Worked. Didn't get sick. Um, did all the off-roady things it was supposed to do off-road. Like, woohoo! It worked. <laughs> um, I was really excited. Everything worked. Um, so that and in fact, I see the link that you put in. I just realized the link that you put in. Did you put that link in there? I did. You did. So um, I st- have a, another podcast that I started just for myself for kicks and giggles and fun that my husband is my cohort on called The Road Reflected. And I just realized you used my link in your the show notes because um, I talked about it in there. Um, and you can hear me talk about it more on The Road Reflected with my husband. Um, but I liked the canyon. I thought the canyon was really good. They came out with a new AT4X, which is the more off-roady version. There's the at 4 now there's AT4X, so you've gone up one. Did you drive this one too, Sam? Uh, no, I did not go on this one. You did not drive the one. So they had us take this on some pretty gnarly um, roads, off-road in Asheville, genuinely needing to use all the off-road features that this comes with. So it. not just a dirt road, like through a... No, not just a dirt road. state. Through an estate. Sorry, Hyundai. Um, not just a dirt road through an estate. This was actually, you needed to be able to drive and the, you needed off-road capability. In fact, there was a section they had us do that if you look online, you'll see a million videos because I think we all videoed it because it was just so stinking cool. We went into this. It was very steep. It was a short spot, but it was steep into like a mud pit, mud and water that went sploosh when you came up. And it was when you went down, it was like the guy goes, he demonstrates I'm the pro and I'm first in line to go behind the pro with everybody sitting there with their cameras. I'm like, oh, please, Nicole, don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. Don't mess. As everybody has their camera, I'm like, don't get stuck. I did not. Um, but I watched him go through when he came to the window and he said, how, how, you know, are, are you okay? You got it. Do you need? And I said, so basically watching you, it looks like you crept down really slowly until it kind of 
touches the bottom and then you just sent it. He's like, pretty much like, okay, I can do that. (laughs) So it's exactly what you do. And it just went right through. Um, And it wasn't like it was, this was that really, it was just mud and water, like that sludgy, slushy stuff that is mud. Um, So very slick. And it had no problem. Every single vehicle in the lineup, everybody got through, no one got stuck. And the thing of it was, it wasn't like everybody there was an expert off-roader or an expert driver in trucks. There were varying levels based on the people I know who are with me, who had some expertise going off-road, who had some expertise in trucks and others who are like, oh God, I've never done anything like this in my entire life ever. Still came right through, which is actually the biggest testament to the vehicle doing what it's supposed to do. If you know how to do it and you do it, big deal. If you don't know how to do it and you still get through, that's a big deal. Um, And so I felt it did it, no problem. Um, I came out with only mud, a mild amount of mud on myself uh, after having to tromp through and take pictures. Uh, I got stabbed by a pricker bush. That was not fun. Um, Although the GMC guy was like hacking away at everything to get us through. Like he was like going through a, with like a machete through the forest using his arms. So it was really, it was lots of stuff. There was, you know, lots of terrain. Um, It was very fun. They also let us play around with the Baja mode. Um, which is sort of like the high speed driving. There was only a teeny little section where we could really open up because this isn't like the desert. But when you open up, that Baja mode's fantastic. It was great. So I liked it. I like what they did on the inside. It still has a sort of premium GMC look and feel, uh, which is nice. It has a really large infotainment screen that's standard. So there's no weedy little tiny screen and having to move up a trim. The whole lineup has a large infotainment screen, which is nice. Uh, so I, I, you know, thumbs up. I like the GMC Canyon. I think that was a good offering. And I think for people looking for a mid-sized truck, whether you want the super capable AT4X or their fancy pants Denali, it's, it's a good choice. Cool. Um, and yeah, it's, it's interesting this year, um, you know, with the new Canyon, they, and the Colorado, the Chevy Colorado, which is, you know, basically the same vehicle that they've decided to narrow down the the scope uh, the the body styles to just one. So now there's only a crew cab. There's no more, you know, extended cab, you know, traditional cab style version of it. Um, and they've also gone with just one engine this time. You only, there's only the 2.7 liter four cylinder turbo uh, that is the base engine in the, in the big trucks. Um, but uh, what, you know, how, how was that engine? I think it was good, you know, that, and that was a big complaint or I guess a big concern for people. Like I can't get this configured as many ways as I want. And people tend to like to configure their truck in 85,000 different variations. But again, this is not a full-size truck. This is a mid-size truck. So slightly different person who's probably not doing the same level of towing or like work on the ranch that someone who gets a full-size vehicle. I felt like that powertrain was great. It had no problems. We were going on, we did the off-road section, but to get to it, there were just twisting highway roads through the sort of mountainy area outside of Asheville, North Carolina. And it had no problem going up and down those. Like you could really hit the gas and it would accelerate a little bit on the noisy side. Like you hear it, but again, this is a truck. This isn't a sedan. So you always kind of hear the acceleration. You hear it working a little bit more in a truck, but it wasn't intrusive. It accelerated just fine. Um, And I think as far as the utility of that bed, if you need a really, if you want, you know, if you want more, well, then you're going to have to move away from this, but it still has decent towing numbers. It still has decent payload as a mid-sized truck. I think you have to sort of qualify it mid-sized truck, not full-size truck. And as a mid-sized truck, the power is fine. The handling is great. Everything is good. You're not going to have the same kind of towing and payload is the big guys. If you really need that, since there's not other configurations, you mean that's what the big guys are for. 
That's what the big guys are for. So as they midsize, it does a beautiful job. Okay. Well, it's not the only mid-size, new midsize truck launching this year. In fact, there's a whole fleet of mid-size, new midsize trucks launching this year. Um, and uh, I think when we're in Hawaii next week, uh, we're going to see another one, uh, the new Toyota Tacoma. Um, but before that, um, last week, Ford, um, or I guess actually, yeah, last week, um, Ford um, showed off the uh, 2024 Ford Ranger and Ranger Raptor um, for the North American market. So we actually first saw the new Ranger. So this is the sixth generation Ranger. Um, And we first saw this one in late 2021. That's when they first released images of it and said, yep, this is coming. Um, You know, it was delayed a little bit because of all the, um, all the supply chain issues and everything else. Um, it's already launched in Europe and some other parts of the world. Um, and, uh, uh, it's also going to form the basis for the new VW Amarok pickup truck, the new generation version of that, that's going to be sold outside of North America. But now we're finally getting it here in North America. Um, and so with, um, the previous generation Ranger back in 2011, when they launched the, the, the fifth gen Ranger, um, that's when they made the shift from a compact to a midsize truck for the Ranger. And at that point, Ford decided, yeah, you know, we don't really need the Ranger in North America anymore. Um, you know, cause it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't cost that much less to make it than it, than to build, uh, an F series pickup. Um, and you know, it's not really getting better fuel economy than the F series pickup. So, you know, we're just going to go with the F series from now on. Uh, and you know, so they sold, they built the Ranger for the rest of the world and and we didn't get it here until 2019 by 2019, you know, the F series had continued moving more and more up market. They kept introducing these premium trim levels and selling more and more of those. And the average transaction price of, of an F-150 was getting up to around $50,000. And so they decided, okay, we need something more affordable in here. And so they brought the the global Ford Ranger back to North America for four years ago. Um, and they, they did some mild updates on it, but it was basically the same as the one they'd sold overseas. And, you know, it was fine. You know, it was, a, it was good size. Um, you know, the interior, you know, was sturdy, but not particularly premium feeling, especially if you got the Lariat. If you went for an XL or an XLT, it was fine. You know, it was hard because it was all hard plastics and stuff like that. And, you know, they were a little more affordable. If you went for a Lariat, when I first drove one back in 19, mm-hmm. you know, I drove a, a Lariat that at the time was like $43,000. And I said, you know, it's a nice truck, but it's not worth, it doesn't feel like it's worth 43 grand, you know, for 10 grand less, you could get an XLT that would, I think would be a lot better option. Um, this new Ranger now, definitely, as you talked about with the Rivian, it feels more premium. You know, the materials are much nice, much nicer than the the outgoing version. The overall size of the Ranger, the overall length is the the same. It's like within, I think it's like a tenth of an inch longer or something than the compared to the old Ranger. But it has two inches more wheelbase, and it's also two inches wider than before, hmm. um, and it's a couple inches taller. So you know, it it you look at it, it looks a little bigger feels a little bigger than before even though it's the same overall length does it look that way when you see it in person could you yeah 
yeah yeah it, it does it you know it and the the design you know the previous ranger was a little more rounded looking you know it kind of you know almost felt like more of a throwback to the late 90s early 2000s f-150s if you remember those they were more rounded looking before they went to the more squared off the des- squared off design um and um, you know, so the, the Ranger had a little more rounded look. This one adopts the same kind of design language that we see on the F series, you know, more squared off chunky looking, um, as well as even on the Maverick, you know, and, and, you know, since they, since the Ranger came out, they also brought out the Maverick at an even lower price. And so, you know, now you've got these three distinct levels in there and, you know, so you've got, you know, in the headlights, you know, they've got the signature C clamp signature lighting in the headlights and you know the front end looks a little more like a like a modern f-150 um you know the sides are a little more sculpted than before uh you know it looks a little more modern it's a it's a it's a good looking truck um like the canyon in colorado um it's crew cab only no more extended cab version in it you know i always felt those those extended cab versions you know they had rear jump seats in there that were basically useless yeah, it's like it's like we're, we're giving you this extended cab because we feel like we should have that option yeah but but nobody was buying them so they said okay fine we'll just do the crew cab because that's what everybody wants anyway mm-hmm. um and um so this time part of um the the uh the new pl- the platform is a heavily upgraded version of what they had before which is basically the same platform that's under the bronco um, and so a big change was the, f- the front part of the frame, it's now hydroform. So it's wider. So there's more space for engines in there than before. So that's part of why it's two inches wider. Mm-hmm. Um, so whereas GM has gone from four cylinder and V6 options to just four cylinders, Ford's gone the other way. And they, now they have the 2.3 liter four cylinder and the 2.7 liter V6. Uh, so the same engine options that are in the Bronco. Um, uh, but no manual transmission option in the Ranger. Um, and then, uh, the, uh, there's also for the first time in North America, the Ranger Raptor, uh, which is, you know, the more, the, the more off-road oriented version, um, you know, joining the F-150 Raptor and the Bronco Raptor, um, higher performance, got the same four liter or three liter, 405 horsepower V6 that's in the uh, Bronco Raptor, um, Fox shocks, but it's not quite as aggressive as the Bronco Raptor. So whereas the Bronco Raptors goes up to 37 inch tires, there's only 33s on the Ranger Raptor. Um, you know, the suspension, you know, is beefed up. It's three, it, uh, the Ranger Raptor is three and a half inches wider than the standard Ranger um, with wider fenders and everything and wider track, different suspension. But again, not quite as aggressive as the as the Bronco Raptor, um, and um, you know the the Bronco, uh, you know, because the shorter overhangs of the SUV versus the pickup truck, you know, is going to have a little more off road capability there as well. Um, the um, the Ranger and and Ranger Raptor uh, go into production this summer and should be available for sale late summer. Uh, we don't have pricing information yet. Um, but uh, you know, so 275 horsepower with the four-cylinder, 315 with the uh, with the with the, the 2.7 liter, um, and um, you know it's got some of the 
you know, they brought in some of the the neat features that they have on the F-150, like on the tailgate. Um, you have the the molded in uh, ruler and the tailgate and the molded in cup holders and stuff. And like and that. That's just nice little handy feature. Yeah. And and the the pockets in the top of the top edge of the tailgate for C clamps, so you can clamp your your stuff down there that you're working on. Um, this they they have um, the uh, bed step um, behind the rear wheels, um, similar to what uh, GM's had for a while, um, and but it's wider than the one like the the GM trucks have the bumper step that you can step up to get into the bed um ford has it in the in the side of the bed so it's wider than the bumper step so you can actually stand on there with two feet rather than just one feet it's a little more stable it'll hold up to 300 pounds um and with that extra width that two inches of extra width um you can also uh put in um four foot wide sheets of plywood or drywall or whatever you want in between the wheel wells and it sits flat on the the floor bed uh, unlike in the uh, the Maverick, which is narrower, where you have to sit sit them on top of the wheel wells, and then the Maverick has you can open up the the uh, tailgate to two different levels, so you can have if if you have it halfway open um, with the, the the straps on there, then a sheet will lay flat across the the edge of the uh, tailgate and the um, and the wheel wells. Um, so you know it it's a I think. You know, it looks good. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a very interesting competition uh, in the midsize truck segment with um, the GM trucks, the rank, the new Rangers, the, the all new Tacoma. We got the new Frontier what, last year or the year before. Um, and, you know, there's a good probability that we will see something from Ram in the next year or so as well. Uh, so getting to be a very hot segment. I think it's neat. I like to see them continue to move that segment forward because it was a little bit ignored for a while. And I think it's a lot of people want a truck, but they don't want an F-150. Like, yeah. They don't want a 1500. You know, they need something a little smaller. You still kind of, it's like why crossovers are so cool. You don't want a full-size SUV, but you want a little bit of crossover versatility. You don't want a full-size truck, but you want a little bit of truck versatility. So I think it's good. And I liked, I like the Ranger. I'm excited to see what this one looks like in person. I'm curious to see how much the bigger size and bigger bits make it feel like uh, more truck. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it looks a little more trucky than before. Yeah. Um, so that's good. All right. Um, Honda, um, they uh, recently ended production of the NSX. It's been what? 13 years, 14 years since they ended production of the S 2000. Um, and apparently they may be planning um, a new sports car coming out this year to celebrate Honda's 75th anniversary. That's um, kind of exciting because Honda builds nice, fancy sports cars. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and the and the render that they, um, you know, this is a story from Autocar. The render that they have here, you know, shows a front end that looks very much like the NSX, you know, but it's a front engine, rear drive, you know, long hood, you know, roadster rather than you know, the mid-engine um, supercar that the NSX was. Um, and, you know, presumably if they do this, you know, it's going to use the two-liter turbo from the Civic Type R and the Integra Type S. Um, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I would love to have uh, a, a, something like this coming from Honda. It would be great to see what they could do with that engine in a, in, in a rear-wheel drive sports car. 
Yeah, I think this could be fun. And where it's like an anniversary vehicle, you know, to celebrate anniversary, they tend to do fun stuff with that. They're not going to mess around. Like the 75th anniversary celebration never is just a meh vehicle or the 50th. It's not just like, yeah, we made a fit. They're going to make something cool. Yeah. Like because of Honda, you know, they, it's so, Honda is such an interesting company because they make like the Accord, which is just like a solid sedan. And the CRV, which is just a solid little crossover. And then they make fun stuff, you know? And I like when they do the fun stuff, it's like underneath these mild-mannered cars that everyone's buying, there's some actual personality that they save for the sporty stuff. I'm hoping this, this is all the personality, all the fun, all the excitement, all the engagement that I know Honda can do, but you don't generally, you don't see in sort of the everyday Honda. Yeah, I mean, you, you see it in stuff like the NSX, like the, the Civic Type R. Um, and the Integra, but uh, yeah, it certainly doesn't make it into the the mainstream products. Right, so it's nice to. Th- I, that's why I'm, I have high hopes for this because I know they can build some really fun stuff, and I bet this is going to be fun. All right, one more item before we get to a couple of listener uh, emails: um, the Polestar Three uh, and the Volvo EX90, a pair of electric vehicles, electric crossovers, uh, built on a new electric-only platform. Um, that were due to launch this year have been delayed. Wow. Um, they've been pushed back into uh, 20, or first half of 2024. I actually went to, there's a new Polestar store here in Detroit, uh, actually in Royal Oak. I uh, went over there on Friday. Um, they had the Polestar 3. They're doing a little tour of some of the Polestar dealers uh, around the country, taking the uh, the three around to to these and so I went over there and uh, as I walked in, um, Stephanie Brindley was in there chatting with uh, with Mike Ofiara and yep. so that was fun. Uh, we were checking it out and we were, we were talking about this. Um, and they put out an, they had put out an announcement the day before on Thursday as part of uh, Polestar's uh, first quarter financial results that um, production, which was supposed to start late this summer, has been pushed back to Q1 of next year, 2024. Um, and then, uh, for the, and that's going to be, uh, first in China, uh, and then they're going to add production at the, um, um, the Volvo plant in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, and then that, uh, that plant is also going to build the EX90. Uh, so we will get the, the currently scheduled to get the Polestar three on sale here in the second quarter of next year. So about just about a year from now Mm -hmm. is what Mike told us. Um, and uh, the EX90 should be coming out around the same time. Um, and the reason for this, software. Mm-hmm. Uh, Volvo is having some challenges with developing the software. Um, and it seems like everybody's having software issues right now. Um, you know, VW's Cariad division, which is their, their software division, is um, they just they made an announcement earlier this week that they had fired the CEO, the CTO, and the CFO, um, and you know, this, uh, and they were replacing all of them. They brought in the um, head of manufacturing from Bentley to run Cariad. Wow! Um, and they're going to have other uh, new leaders uh, joining him uh, soon. Um, this, you know. Everybody's having issues trying to develop this complex new software. I, you know, I give here's looping back to our VinFest thing, but I give them credit. They said, We're not ready. The yeah. software isn't ready. We're not ready. We got to push this out. 
It's going to affect our deliveries for the year. It's going to affect everything for the year. We're going to ask the people who were not doing what we felt like they should have been doing, but they said, we can't, we cannot deliver this this way. I give them full credit for saying we are not ready rather than like, well, let's just push it through and see what happens. I mean, this is how, this is, this is how it should be done. If you're not ready, don't put the car out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Get it, you know, get it better. <laughs> yeah. It, it's got for, for a vehicle, especially something that, you know, is going to start at $80,000. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the standard for what cons- consumers expect today, I think is a lot higher than what it used to be. Yeah. And, you know, especially when you're talking about software, there's so many things that can go wrong with that. You know, just take the extra time and get it, you know, to a point where it's at least stable and, you know, works reasonably well before, uh, before you ship it. Right. So it's a bummer, but kudos to them for saying, nope, we can't ship this like it is. We got to hold. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's uh, do a couple of listener uh, feedback things. Uh, Let's start off with Eric S. Um, Eric uh, wrote to us at feedback at wheelbearings.media, which is where you can all reach us. Um, I'm writing Uh, to the email from this week's show, uh, referring to last week's show, complaining about how long it takes Nicole to come up with her weekly publication. Nicole, ignore everything that person said. The fact that someone was annoyed enough by your intros that they felt the need to scold you about it is nutty. It blew my mind so much that I'm writing my first ever email to a podcast. I listen to your podcast for variety. Not every car is a supercar of car reviews, uh, to hear things explained from an engineer and yes, your fun, unpolished, (laughs) organized banter. Uh, I'm sure there is an NPR style podcast out there where the hosts are clearly reading directly from a script that can, uh, that, that person can find. If there isn't, maybe there is a reason. Keep, (laughs) keep being you and doing what you've been doing and ignore every email, except maybe this one. Eric S., I'm not going to ignore your email. You're my favorite listener ever. Everybody else come up with a cool email to send me and you'll move to the top of the list. <laughs> I thought it was really sweet. I thought it was funny that someone was so bent out of shape about that. That's fine. Um, and I appreciate the support, Eric. I'll just keep being me and everyone's going to have to suffer through. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next one is, let's see, let me get this going here, uh, is actually a an audio message that we got from uh, Adam Jackowenko, who has written to us before. Um, and uh, uh, we, I think we talked, I think he sent us an email a couple of weeks ago about uh, the Cadillac Lyric and his parents trying to buy a Cadillac Lyric. And so he's got some feedback for that. So here, let's play that. Hey, Wheelbanks crew, this is Adam in San Diego, and I just wanted to give some feedback on the Cadillac Lyric since the listener uh, last episode was asking about the noise cancellation. Uh, And during that process, I also wanted to give some feedback about the car uh, itself because my parents ordered one on day one of ordering and they just got their debut edition this week. uh, And I went to their house to help them. Uh, I went to pick up the car with them and I helped get the car home and help them set up the car. And I I have some thoughts as well on that. So I think some people might find interesting. Uh, As far as the uh, noise cancellation goes, I think it's fine. It sounds really nice in the interior. It's pretty quiet. It's kind of what you would expect for a Cadillac. Uh, I don't notice the noise cancellation at all because it's passive. Um, I don't notice the tires, road noise, or anything like that. Uh, So I don't think there'd be any concerns with that. And I think it's pretty much a nice, comfy, uh, cushy ride. 
Uh, as far as the experience of getting the Cadillac goes, I wanted to share that we went to the dealership. Um, I went with my parents and uh, the car was filthy when we arrived, even though the salesperson said, it's here, come get it. Um, they weren't ready at all for us. Uh, once we finally got in to sign the paperwork, they tried to add on a $5,000 cash markup, as well as $3,000 in additional dealer add-ons, including a tracking system uh, for a car that has OnStar, mind you, uh, an alarm system for a car that comes with an alarm, um, and VIN etching and paint protection. And so my parents are in their 70s, they're retired, they were excited to get a Cadillac, but the whole experience really soured them on the brand, on the experience, on the dealership. Uh, I spent three hours negotiating all of those things down uh, and away for them. Uh, so that was a pretty pretty poor experience overall. Not, not surprising there since um, a lot of dealers do that these days. So that was unfortunate. And then when we got the car home, I spent the better part of the afternoon as well as the whole following day uh, giving them uh, advice on how to use the car, set up the car. I don't think this car is for the technology faint of heart. Um, it may be a little challenging for some uh, Cadillac demographic buyers, if you will, um, who may not be entirely tech savvy. Um, that's not to say all of them aren't, but it's tough. It's a lot of in infotainment functionality. My parents are pretty tech savvy um, and they were struggling with just you know things like setting up the garage door opener um, because it's not really um, intuitive how you do it and then actually using the garage door opener is similar to the um, glove box functionality there's no hard buttons for either uh, which was very frustrating to them because uh, they've never experienced that in any car in their life um, so you have to um, hit the uh, screen for opening the glove box as well as opening the garage door once it's um, tied into the car uh, in fact by default you have to swipe on the screen and then tap on the screen twice just to open the garage door um, if you're tech savvy enough to figure out that you can make a shortcut, it can do it in little as two taps on the screen, but that's the least amount of taps you can do to open your garage door. And if the car is in anything but uh, where the infotainment screen is on, then you can't do it. Like if it's in reverse uh, or if you don't have you know the right um, screen up on the infotainment, you actually can't open the garage door at all. Um, so that's <laughs> pretty odd and frustrating. Um, also something I noticed, uh, the back seats have a large plastic base to them um, at the bottom of your back and the top of your butt where your, kind of the, your butt goes. Um, it's very uncomfortable. None of us actually like sitting in the back seat because of the large plastic trim that went across where your butt is. It kind of hurt our all of our butts sitting in the back seat. So that was kind of weird for a car that that should be pretty comfortable in all seats. Um, but one thing I will say was pretty cool is it has like um, a little piggy bank, as they call it, feature. It's like an Easter egg for um, the belt buckles for the back seat. So you actually, if you look for it, if you if you can see it, if you can, uh, when you before you fold the back seats down, um, you can put the buckles in this little. Um, uh, repository sort of place where they hold a place so that they don't, uh, the belts uh, don't get hung up on the seats when they fold down. It's a really cool feature. I'm surprised no car that I've seen has ever done that before. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to give that overall feedback on the uh, the Lyric and the, the purchasing experience and some of the, the quirks that I, I noticed about it. So thanks. Love the show. Bye. Thank you so much for sending hey, that. Adam. This is Adam. Oh, sorry. Hold on. There we go. Well, he has the single most soothing voice I've ever listened to in my entire life. <laughs> he does. Oh, it's really calming. <laughs> okay, so that was really interesting feedback, especially the number of things that they vin etching and all this stuff that they tried to check. Come on, dealers, stop. This, this is why this is why people hate dealers. Exactly why people hate dealers. But I think it was neat that he addressed the the sound and also the, the, the 
how tech forward this car is, that can be a challenge for anyone, mm-hmm. even if you are tech savvy. But as he said, the sort of the demographic buying a Cadillac, that might be a bigger challenge. And, you know, generally speaking, the older you are, the less tech savvy you are with the newest and latest and greatest. It's just the way that it works, people. I love all the older folks out there who don't like tech. That's fine. But it does pose a problem that if you don't have someone who can help you with some of that stuff, you're going to find yourself going back to the dealership or you're going to be taking your parents back to the dealership or spending time sitting in the driveway like Adam just did. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the um, the garage door opener, um, you know, most most modern vehicles uh, have, you know, HomeLink system uh, built in there where you know, you'll find three buttons up by the headliner there where you can program it to open your garage door so you don't have to have the 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 garage door opener clipped on your on your visor or anything like that. Um, and Cadillac has put that into the touchscreen interface, which, you know, again, if it would be one thing if you, you know, if it was always visible on the top layer of the screen, you know, of the interface, but you know, if it's buried down there somewhere, a couple of steps down, you know, that's not great. Um, it, it's, you know, that's really unfortunate. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I think, um, I mean, I've only had the one opportunity to drive the Lyric at the drive program last June in Park City um, and didn't really spend any notable amount of time in the back seat. Have you had a chance? You haven't had a chance to spend more time with a Lyric, have you? I haven't spent a lot of time with it. No, I haven't had it for a lengthy amount of time. So I had a very short time and it was just driving. I didn't even get a chance to sit in the back seat because we had such narrow little windows while we were driving it. Um, but that's interesting. Now I'm really curious to to see what he's talking about in the backseat. To see, well, <laughs> like Cadillac Lyric, it hurt our butts. That's not really what Cadillac's probably looking for. <laughs> no, hopefully we'll we'll have more of a chance soon. Because um, there was a question uh, a couple of weeks back uh, that we were waiting for a response from from GM on as far as you know the ramp up of the the Lyric production. Um, and during their um, their Q1 earnings call. They did. Uh, they did say that you know their plan. They I think they built two thousand lyrics so far through the end of March, um, in total, which is not a whole lot. But um, in Q two, they're expecting to significantly ramp up the production rate on those vehicles um, as they they were getting waiting to get more batteries from their Lordstown battery plant. Um, so hopefully by the end of this quarter, you know, we, we should start seeing a lot more of them coming out. Um, and hopefully we'll get a chance to spend more time with one, uh, in the not too distant future. Yes, I agree. I'd like to drive one for more than the brief time I had. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Adam. And, uh, if anybody else wants to record, uh, something for us and send it in that we can include in the show. Uh, you can uh, record that and you know put it in a Dropbox or OneDrive or whatever. Send us a link, or if it's you know if the file's not too large, you can just um, attach it to the email uh, and send it to feedback at wheelbearings.media, and we will definitely include it. All right. Anything else uh, you want to talk about this week? I feel like that's it. I feel like we had a good chat, even without Robbie. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. And um, next week, um, we're going to take the week off because uh, it's my wedding anniversary. And uh, I'm going to be enjoying it uh, on a beach somewhere in the middle of the Pacific with my wife. That's fantastic. Everyone needs to get away. And so we're going to give Robbie and Nicole the week off as well. But there will be a show um, you know, uh, with all of the interviews that we did at the New York Auto Show this year. Um, 
most some of those have been posted previously on the Patreon feed. So if you're a Patreon supporter, you may have heard some of them, but there's also some new stuff in there. And for all the rest of you, um, there's going to be, I think, six interviews on there uh, with people from um, Hyundai, from Stellantis, uh, from Ford um, and um, and from Kia. Uh, so, uh, look for that, uh, at the usual time, uh, it'll be coming out, uh, next Sunday. Um, and we will talk to you again in two weeks time. Bye. Bye.